Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 588 with Dr. Luana Marquez. If you are feeling perhaps a smidge of anxiety these days and you would like to turn that into some peak performance, Luana is bringing the goods. So you'll learn one, how to stop avoiding and start taming your fears. Two, why anxiety isn't always bad. And three, the TEB cycle for calming your anxious mind. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, Drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep588. And if I'm causing you anxiety by giving you too many great episodes that you'd like to listen to them all, but you just don't have time, fear not. I've got a tool for that as well. It's called the Gold Nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. And these provide summary wisdom from Luana and the guests who went before her in a quick email you can read in under three minutes per guest and the access to the archives of all of the guests and their wisdom that went before Luana. So that's called the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Luana's story. Dr. Marquez is a licensed clinical psychologist in the states of Massachusetts and New York and an expert in cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, if you will, for a wide range of psychiatric disorders. She received her BS in psychology from the State University of New York at Buffalo in 2001 and her master's and PhD at SUNY Buffalo in clinical psychology in 2005 and 2007. She completed an internship and postdoctoral fellowship in the CBT track at the Massachusetts General Hospital and was subsequently hired as a postdoctoral fellow in the Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Clinic and Research Unit at MGH. Currently, Dr. Marquez is the senior clinical psychologist at the MGH Center for Anxiety and Traumatic Stress Disorders Program, as well as an associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Big thanks to Luana for sharing her wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Luana. Luana, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. I'm highly interested in digging into your expertise when it comes to anxiety and fear and coping and resilience and all that good stuff. But I want to understand first, I understand that you had a fear of heights at one point, past tense I'm using. What's the story and how did you overcome this? 
You're absolutely right. Um, I learned it the hard way. I was actually hiking Yosemite National Park. And when I got to the end of um, Half Dome, I realized that there were cables there. And I had this, the fear of that I was going to fall down. My heart was pounding, a classic fight or flight response. I was already in graduate school, thankfully. And so I um, took matters on my own hand to make sure I'd overcome that fear. So it is past tense. I go skydiving as often as I can. Oh, I, that's exciting. I've been skydiving once, twice, at least once. <laughs> and it is a thrill. So, well, how'd you do it? What were the key steps for you personally? So the key step of anything when it comes to a fight or flight response is really approach and not avoid. But it's not just to approach completely. It's what I call comfortably uncomfortable. So the idea is to create your hierarchy, your approach letter, and to start small, what you're trying to do is to teach your limbic system, the emotional part of your brain, how to cool off a little bit. And so you, and, and the limbic system <clears throat> is wired really for fight or flight. And so what you want to do here is approach, stay with the fear situation again and again until the anxiety comes down. So I started with letters, then I went up on um, stairs and roofs, and then I went to Disney, did 16 roller coasters in one day. Don't recommend it. <laughs> Skydiving is a lot more fun. Oh, that is so good. And well, now I'm thinking I, I've just been playing with my Oculus Quest headset a little bit when I can't get out in the real world. <laughs> and um, they have a plank <laughs> experience, which is just freaky, in which it's like you're on top of a skyscraper walking out on a plank and it's, you know, not real, but it sure makes you feel crazy like up there. So I don't know where that falls in the ladder, but that's, I guess, sort of one other way that you could initiate a type of exercise or experience encounter, a, a something that is not the whole thing, but it's um, somewhere on the wrong there. Absolutely. So the virtual reality world has taken over and really there is Today, there's virtual reality treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder. So whatever you can do to play with the brain a little bit, and really what we're trying to teach is it's a false alarm, mm -hmm. right? And this example of the plank is great because you're still sitting in your house, but I bet you get your heart pounding a little bit. Yeah, really, you know, the first time I did it, I was actually, my brother came into town and we went, this was maybe a year or two ago, we went to like this VR lounge place and... Uh, <laughs> I sort of embarrassed all of us because I like I would oh! <laughs> I made, made quite the scene, uh, and, I, and people outside look at a dude with a, a headset on like what's his problem? <laughs> no, it totally it makes sense, and I really like that you're sharing, Pete, because you know often we can't understand when somebody's really anxious what the experience is like, and at the core of it is this fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, I guess. We kind of jumped right into a little bit of the how and some steps. So maybe let's back it up a little bit. When we talk about anxiety, could you give us a definition? It doesn't have to be supremely precisely academically perfect, but just so we're all on the same page for what we're talking about here. Absolutely. So when we're talking about anxiety, often we're talking about a couple of things. First is the physiology that comes with this fight or flight response. And so from a mild sort of just heart pounding a little bit to a full on, you know, sweaty palms, tension, feeling ready to run from threat. So one component of anxiety is really the physical component of anxiety. The other component of anxiety is where it falls more in sort of the anxious thoughts. It becomes worry. You know, what if this happened? What if that happened? And so I tend to think about anxiety through the Yates-Dobson law, really thinking about 
how low levels of anxiety also it's low levels of performance. At moderate arousal, we have this peak performance, peak mid-arousal, peak performance. And then when we get to too much arousal, too much anxiety, then our brain shuts down a little bit and becomes really hard to focus. Mm -hmm. I totally buy that in my own experience in terms of, I'm thinking about, um, what was the model you mentioned? What was the name? So it's called the Yerkes-Dobson Law. Yerkes-Dobson Law. I guess I'm thinking about um, Cheek Sent Me High and Flow with regard to if it's too little, it's, we're bored, too much, we're freaked out, overwhelmed, and, and moderate. It's like, ooh, an interesting challenge, and we're in the groove and flow. And I experienced that as well in terms of just thinking about career moments, like, ooh, this is a big opportunity. I'm a little nervous and excited about it, and then I'm stretched, as opposed to this is wildly overwhelming, and I'm freaked out, or I'm really bored by um, what's going on here. So I would like to hear, in terms of the research and discoveries, what for you has been the most fascinating, surprising, enlightening discovery you've made about anxiety and how us humans work during your long career of psychologist and researcher and real-time adventures? So early on in my career, a lot of the studies I worked on were questions like, not does therapy work, but how does it work better than medication? And therapy, the ones I've studied, is really fall under cognitive behavioral therapy. So what you're saying to yourself, what's that making you feel, your emotions, and what is your behavior, the actions you're taking? And early on, what we knew is that CBT is not only effective, but can help you rewire your brain. Right, pre and post studies. So 12 weeks of therapy, pre and post functional MRI, you see change in the brain domain that you'd want to see. You decrease limbic response, increase frontal cortex or thinking brain. So early, what was exciting is to know that, you know, before we even talk about neuroplasticity, that we could actually change our brain with therapy is really cool to me. And then now that we knew it works, what gets me the most excited these days is how do we get out of the ivory tower and to the streets? How do we actually think about this as brain health and so that you need to exercise your brain with those skills and how can we get it to everyone? And that's really what our research lab focuses on mostly these days. Mm-hmm. Well, let us know. You know. What are some best practices if more people want to taste some of those benefits without, to the extent possible, doing a full-blown you know, 12 weeks of therapy? What could we do? So there are a couple of ways you can do it. One um, on July 12, um, we're going to be releasing a course called Mental Health for All. And it is a very simple dosage of the skills that I'm talking about. There's four modules and it's going to be available for free for anybody in the world. So if you think about building resilience, you're going to be able to learn how to slow down your brain, separating thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. You're going to be able to learn how to charge up. So the role of eating, sleeping, and exercise for your physical and mental health will teach people how to approach their fears and to also change some of their thinking. And you can um, find more about the course uh, on my, my website, drluana.com. You can also practice the skills like mindfulness and meditation. Those are definitely some things that are out there, easily accessible and shown to rewire your brain. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, boy, I'd love to talk about all those things. I'll just have to take the course. Let's talk about changing thinking, shall we? We talked a little bit about going up the steps, and we've talked uh, with a few guests about charging up and self-care and energy stuff. So how do you recommend we go about changing our thinking? First step of changing our thinking is to remind ourselves that thoughts are not facts. And that's really important. Once we get stuck on patterns of thinking, we forget that those are habits, right? So you show up at work and somebody gives you a look and you might say to yourself, 
that person is mad at me. You jump to a conclusion here. Mm-hmm. And that thought immediately probably makes you feel a little anxious and you might avoid that person. So the first thing is just sort of like, listen, what am I saying to myself? What is exactly that thought? And then a very simplistic way to change your thought is to say, okay, what's the evidence that I have to support that thought? And what is the evidence I have against that thought? So in the example here, you may say, okay, maybe that person is mad at me, but I don't have evidence. Maybe they are preoccupied. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they were thinking about something else, right? And so you really want to put the the evidence for and against in a balance, like in a scale and be able to say, okay, based on this evidence, do, do I actually have data that can prove that thought right? And if you can't, then we need to really arrive at a more balanced thought. Mm-hmm. And the trick here, Pete, is really balanced. Often when we talk about exploring thoughts, people are like, well, is it a happy thought? Is it a sad thought? Is it a good thought? It really is not. It's balanced. Sometimes there are thoughts that are realistic. I can't say to a patient who had an experience of racism that that wasn't real, right? But I, if you focus only on that experience, then you're going to continue to feel upset. So would some fair synonyms for balance in this context be sort of like, accurate, truthful. I get the sense that when you say balanced, you mean that it is reflective of full reality, more or less. Is that what you mean by balanced? Exactly. That's what I mean by balance is by really looking at the whole picture and understanding sort of all of the facts in front of you and almost summarizing them in such a way that you can say, huh, I'm saying this to myself for a long time. I have a habit of saying this, but this may not be an actual fact. It could not be held in a court of law as a fact. Okay, sure. Thing. Well, I'd love it if you could maybe give us an example here. And let's talk a little bit, shall we, about uh, coronavirus, shall we? A mm. source of much anxiety these days. Let's say someone has some thought patterns like, I can't do this, I can't do that, I must do this, I must do that. I'm freaked out that I could you know, catch it and have a horrible time, lose my sense of smell or taste forever. And they're just all kinds of anxious and freaked out. How would we go about moving to balance? The first thing I would do is slow it down. So let's imagine that was you for a second, that you're the person saying those things to yourself. So the first thing I'd want to know is, what is the situation that triggered those thoughts? Where were you? I'd like to see exactly what you're doing when those thoughts came up. So I'm the person who's highly anxious. Let's say my wife suggested she wanted to go get an oil change. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh-oh, we can't have that. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of person interaction there. So your wife suggests I can see great situations. So the first step is to actually anchor in a situation. Because if we don't anchor in the situation, we can't isolate a specific thought that may get you anxious, right? Now, in that situation, there were a bunch of thoughts that you had, right? So let's walk through the thoughts again. What, what are the first two thoughts that may have jumped in your head? Sure. Well, now that we're anchored in the situation, I'd say... Uh Uh-oh, she might get it from a mechanic Mm -hmm. and then she could be hospitalized and we'll be in a world of trouble Mm -hmm. with taking care of the kids and work and everything. So I'm going to stay with the first one. She may get it from a mechanic. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you say that to yourself, how do you feel? What's your emotions like? I want to say anxious, but I almost feel like cheating for this conversation. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll we'll say uh, afraid, Afraid? uh, concerned, Mm -hmm. worried. Mm Mm-hmm. So afraid and concerned, which makes you get worried, right? And what do you want to do? What's the behavior? Say, no. No, you want to avoid it. Don't go. Yeah. Let's not do that. Let's not do that, right? 
And the wife then says, no, I really, really want it. What does that do to that fear they feeling? Well, I, I guess it, it makes it more. It's like, uh, I wanted to exert some control over it in this hypothetical situation. And now I apparently am failing. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first thing I'm, I'm illustrating for us before we even get to this balance thought is that before we get there, we need to understand what we call our tab cycle, T for thoughts, E for emotions, B for behaviors, tab cycle. That's really separating thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, anchoring the situation. Once you do that, then you look at that thought, my wife might get it for a mechanic. Now let's ask questions out of that thought. What is the evidence? And evidence, I mean something that could be held in the court of law, that a judge says true, that your wife might get it. Um, I don't know if it was Dr. Anthony Fauci or one of these health people said like, oh, the best course of action is just to assume that everybody has it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I agree, that may be the best course of action. But how does that help us prove that your wife will get it? Sure. Well, I guess one authority figure said, assume everyone has it, so you might. I guess I don't have the best stats here. I think some health expert estimated perhaps 10% of people in the U.S. have it right now. Okay. So your brain is saying your wife won't get it. And the stats are saying 10% of the people are getting it. So perhaps the probability may be slightly lower than she'll get it. Is that fair? Sure. Yeah. It would be 10% or less. Or less. What would be the evidence against it that she might not get it? That she might not get it. Well, I guess the 90% don't have it. (laughs) I know. But see, the brain tricks us. The minute you say to yourself, she'll get it, then you're locked into this worst case scenario, right? Getting to a balanced thought is really looking, okay, there's 10% chance. There's perhaps 90% chance that she won't. And I bet we could work together through the steps of making her safe so that she could still engage with it in a safe way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Does that make sense? I agree. So a balanced thought may look like something like this. My wife is taking a chance, but we really need that oil change to be able to keep doing the things we need to do. So we'll make sure she's wearing a mask, that she's distanced, that we're going to disinfect the car after, and that will decrease the likelihood that she'll get it. Mm -hmm. That's more of a balanced thought versus she'll get it. Certainly. Okay. And so then a balanced thought, well, let's say it's as balanced as you can get. Why don't we say... Based upon deep research in many epidemiological models, you know, we can infer that there is approximately a 0.34% chance, give or take, that uh, she will contract the coronavirus from an interaction with the mechanic. So that's very small. Mm -hmm. Now, that may be balanced, but it might still have all sorts of anxiety emotion wrapped up in it. Like, oh, that's a lot more than zero. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could be real bad if she gets it. So sure. where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us to face reality a little bit. And I think this is where it's hard to fully balance our thoughts when we're talking about more realistic thoughts. Right? A thought of somebody's mad at me, for example, it's very distorted in black and white. When we're talking about a pandemic, there is the reality that some bad things are really happening. And so there's this piece of having to tolerate being comfortably uncomfortable. And then I think really trying to right size your willingness to take some chances, right? Mm -hmm. The best chance is to do nothing, to not get the oil change. I agree, right? But it's sort of hard to live that way. And so I think it's a sense of like, can I tolerate some uncertainty? And if you really can't, then in a pandemic, I'd say, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I guess it's balanced in that we can then really compare. It's like, okay, 
Well, that is the risk that we would take. And then on the flip side, what is the consequence of not getting the oil change? I guess there's a risk that the car will break <laughs> if you don't attend to basic maintenance. You okay with that? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it is a tough, I mean, it's a hypothetical scenario and we're joking around it, but it's, it is a tough time. And the idea of exploring thoughts in a pandemic is to be able to at least making sure that you're not adding to your anxiety, mm-hmm. right? If anxiety is biologically adaptive up to a point, up to a point you get to that zone, what we don't want to do is be tipping over that zone to a really negative area by by having thoughts that are distorted. So that's really where I think the juice is in exploring thoughts. Okay. Well, well yeah, let's talk about that notion of not adding to it. I imagine there's all sorts of implied do's and don'ts for us um, right now or, or any sort of stressful time of change and difficulty, whether it's economic or social or health. And we got all, at all three at this moment in the U.S. So yeah, I imagine, for example, reading news could make you feel more anxious. Definitely do's and don'ts. So um, what we don't want to do is anything that adds to this fight or flight response. So anything that activates your emotional brain, we don't need more of that. We have plenty of it, right? We have a real threat, coronavirus. On top of it, we have an economic crisis and lots of other difficulties. So we don't want to do anything that turns on. So what do we want to do? The opposite. We want to cool off your brain. How do we do that? By turning on your thinking brain, your prefrontal cortex. So the five skills that we often talk about. So the first one is anchor and unplug. And you, you handed it to me beautifully, which is we know, for example, research shows us that during the marathon bombings here in Boston, the individuals that watched six plus hours of the news related to the bombing at home had a heightened st- stress response than those that were actually there. So the news can actually induce stress. Wow. (laughs) Actually there. Okay. Right. And so think about what that says, that just watching it, you're activating your thinking brain. So we really need to unplug as much as we can from the news, perhaps watch it twice a day. And then you need to anchor in your brain on something that's good. Mindfulness, meditation, talking to your family, doing things to slow down the brain. That's one of the skills that I often recommend based on science. Mm Mm-hmm. Something good. Because I'm thinking about John Krasinski with his some good news. Mm-hmm, exactly. Nice work there, John. Uh, I've never met him <laughs> on a first name basis. But uh, <laughs> so can you have some more examples of maybe even, hey, research based, uh, sort of a, a big bang for the buck in terms of good stuff mm-hmm. that do good things to us biochemically? Well, I mean, in many ways, we get to sort of a second set of skills, which you've mentioned, they've talked to several of your guests before, but it's the idea of charging up, eating, sleeping, and exercise. Our bodies are like the batteries of our car. We actually have to spend energy uh, to get energy. And the problem is when we're feeling really anxious, people get stuck, right? They don't feel like doing something, so they don't exercise. They forget to eat or overeat. And we know that those three things not only help your physical body, it actually decreased depression, decreased anxiety, and increased well-being. Mm-hmm. So charging up is extremely important. And I think not optional during a pandemic. It's one of the few things we actually have some control for the lucky ones to be able to do. Okay. Well, so then let's go there for a bit. So charging up, exercise, good nutrition. Are there any particular high leverage areas here? Well, there's sleep. I mean, can you tell us something that we might not know? Because, <laughs> well, I guess in some ways, that's the hard thing with great 
common sense wisdom, you know, it's sort of like, oh yeah, I should eat healthy and I should sleep and uh, I should exercise, you know, but, so I'd love it if you could put a little oomph to it in terms of, oh, this particular nutrient makes a world of a difference or, hey, this study showed that, boy, a little bit of sleep deprivation is actually devastatingly harmful. Well, sleep deprivation not only decreases your immune system, but also create memory deficits. So that for sure, we know it's a problem. But when it comes to sleep hygiene, broadly speaking, you know, one of the things that most people completely violates in their sleep hygiene is that their bed should be used for sleep and sex. That's it. You should never watch TV in your bed. You should really make sure that when you transition to bed, you're really actually trying to slow down your brain. And that's one that most people don't do. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Well, tell us anything else that uh, you recommend we do or not do before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I guess I recommend that we really hyper-focus on the value of social support, of staying connected. It's the only buffer that we really know against mental illness. And so no matter what it is, even having this conversation, right, staying connected in one way or another can really help us decrease the chances of developing emotional difficulties as a consequence of this pandemic. All right, lovely. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So my favorite quote would be, whenever you really want something, the whole universe conspires for you to have it, by Paulo Coelho, the alchemist. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research? I go back to neuroplasticity, the fact that you can rewire your brain pre and post cognitive behavior therapy. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. And a favorite book? I go for The Alchemist, searching your personal legend. I know it's a fiction book, but it really helped me in my journey here to this country. Okay. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Approach, not avoid. So the most important thing is to be comfortably uncomfortable all the time. I define myself as an over-approacher, so always ahead of it. Well, I want to dig into that. So you're saying you would approach perhaps even more than what are we over-approaching? I, I think most people. So the thing is, Anxiety is biologically adaptive up to a point, right? And then when it becomes too much, our brain starts to really stop working as we talked about. I don't like the experience of anxiety like nobody really does. <laughs> and so whenever I wake up, if there's something I really don't want to do, it's the first thing I do, right? I over approach and I try to get ahead so that I'm staying as close to the zone as possible. That's what I mean by over approacher. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And that sounds related, but how about a favorite habit? That's pretty much it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> approach, approach, approach. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Comfortably uncomfortable. Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for and people quote back to you frequently? Recently, it's really been this idea that's okay not to be okay, that we are all experiencing strong emotions since a pandemic, but that we can also be able to change what we're experiencing by using science-driven skills like we talked today. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch or take that course, where do you point them? to my website, drluana.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there and we'll be releasing the course in mid-July. Okay, and that's D-R-L-U-A-N-A.com? Yes, you got it. Okay, and you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would encourage you to really work on approaching areas of discomfort, really this idea of being comfortably uncomfortable and, and share with us. I'd love to hear more. All right, well... Lubana, it's been a treat. I wish you all the best in your approaches. Thank you. It's been delightful to be here, Pete. Thank you for having me.
I was really struck by what Luana said with regard to once you get stuck in patterns of thinking, you forget that that's a habit, something that is within your control. It's just sort of like on autopilot and it goes. So it really pays to check and say, hey, what's going on here? What am I thinking? What's happening? And is this serving me? You know, can we take a different approach here? So great stuff. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep588. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. Stephen Shapiro has some excellent perspectives on multiple lenses. You can look at any issue through to generate a whole bunch of new perspective and creative ideas in a jiffy. Hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.